Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Dismiss your children for Children's Church. You can head back to the center door where uh, Andrew and Gwen are, and the rest of you can open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're actually in John today. If you did not bring a Bible with you, we do have paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. You might have to look to the left or to the right to find one, but um, should be a Bible there. And um, page 518 is where John chapter 4 is found. <clears throat> we'll be looking at verses 1 through 26 this morning. Something extraordinary uh, happened on June 24th of 2022. Uh, that was the day that Roe versus Wade which was the Supreme Court case in 1973 that legalized abortion, was overturned, and the decision on that matter was handed down to the states to decide for themselves whether abortion should be legal or illegal. I heard a statistic recently that said that in the states where abortion has been banned as a result of that decision, there have been 94,000 fewer abortions than there would have been in the same time period under Roe versus Wade. And as of August 1st, here in the state of Indiana, just this past week, um, a ban on abortions here in this state was set to go into effect based on a decision by the Indiana Supreme Court on June 30th to uphold that law. There are some exceptions in this law in the case of rape and incest up to 12 weeks and in the case where uh, a mother's life was threatened or is threatened. Those are the exceptions, but that is the uh, state of affairs in the state of Indiana now, and I know that there are uh, many people in our state very unhappy about this law. Uh, we say this is a good thing because we are seeing the most vulnerable and weakest among us in our state protected by the law. We believe that is a good thing. So, um, so the abortion problem is solved now, right? Not, nothing left to do. It's all over. We win. Nothing else left to do. Is that right? <laughs> well, no, that's not right. Um, there are still many couples that we might find all around us who are what is called or termed abortion vulnerable. That is, couples where there is a pregnancy and the couple is undecided on whether to keep the child or not. They're still considering what to do. An added factor in this situation today is what is called medication abortion or do-it-yourself abortion or mail-order abortion. It is possible and increasingly common for women to take pills that will induce abortion, and in fact, the majority of abortions in our nation are conducted in this manner. A woman doing this in private, at home, without consultation from a doctor by simply taking a pill. 
So here's kind of the ironic thing, that even though abortion is outlawed in the state of Indiana, it is still readily available. So most of you know about First Choice Pregnancy Center here in Muncie. First Choice is requesting help from the local churches in this community to act as first responders to receive and disciple couples who find themselves in this abortion-vulnerable situation. And that's what this sermon this morning is about. I want to help us think through how we as a church can be prepared for that. And we're always, of course, wanting to see what the Scriptures have to say to us about any situation, and so we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. Of course, we're not in Mark today. You know we're going through a series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, The story we're looking at today is not found in Mark, so that's why we're going to look at John chapter 4. also want you to know that this is not an abortion sermon necessarily. It's not a sermon where I'm going to lay out a pro-life argument, although that has been done before here at New Life, and if you're interested in hearing such a sermon, there was one preached here on July 3rd of 2022. You can go to our website, go to our uh, archives from past sermons and find that message. It's called Roe Overturned, Roe Overturned, July 3rd, 2022. You can hear that sermon. Today, what I'm really hoping to do is to make this more of a preparation sermon to look to the Scriptures so that we can be prepared to respond to whatever vulnerable person the Lord might send into our community or even to us personally as individuals. And what we're going to do is look at the way Jesus interacted with a particularly vulnerable woman, the Samaritan woman, a story that probably many of you are very familiar with and uh, much wisdom here for us. And all of this is designed to prepare us <laughs> for what Pastor Brian mentioned, which is the Discipleship Hour class that will be starting on August 20th called Making Life Disciples. And that's the title of the sermon here this morning, but also the title of uh, this class, this curriculum that we're going to be looking at starting August 20th. The Making Life Disciples curriculum is designed to equip the church to offer compassion, hope, and help to the abortion vulnerable. And I think this text will help us to prepare for that well. So if you're able to stand, please do so. And I'm going to read this text. It's a little bit more lengthy than normal. So if you're a little wobbly on your feet, feel free to remain seated. John 4, 1 through 26. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, worried as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, 
you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come later. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Holy Spirit, would you please open our eyes and open our ears to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, it's quite a lengthy uh, passage. Uh, Typically, I'll try to do the best I can to talk about pretty much everything in a passage, but that's not going to happen today. So, I'm going to ask you for your grace. There are going to be certain details we're not going to cover um, today, but um, there again is a lot for us here as we seek to be prepared to offer compassion, hope, and help to the vulnerable in our community. And so there's three things that I want to show you from this text. And um, the first is um, the clicker was working just a moment ago. First thing is this. (laughs) All right. Prepare for God-appointed encounters with vulnerable people. So again, this is a preparation sermon. There's three things that uh, I'm going to seek to uh, help us be prepared for. Prepare for God-appointed encounters with vulnerable people. So here's the setting here in John 4. We're not going to look at these first few verses, but if you look at verse 3, You see that Jesus and the disciples are together. They're in Judea, and they're leaving Judea, departing for Galilee. But in order to get to Galilee, they have to pass through Samaria. And so, um, here is a map of Israel, so you can kind of see the situation here. Uh, Judea, this is where Jesus and the disciples are. Jerusalem is kind of uh, about right here. Uh, But it says earlier that they're out in the countryside in Judea, 
uh, but they are wanting to leave and travel to Galilee. So here's Galilee up here. So, you know, a lot of our time in Mark was spent looking at Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And remember, he crossed the Sea of Galilee. That's where the stories of Jesus and the disciples in the boat were taking place. He'd kind of go back and forth there. But in Mark now, he's made his way all the way down, and we're in Jerusalem now. But this is a, a different part of Jesus and disciples' ministry. They're in Judea, and they want to go to Galilee. But in order to go to Galilee they got to go through Samaria. And if you look at verse 4, you'll see it says, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, there's some debate about what that actually means. Did he have to pass through Samaria because of geography, just because to get from the south to the north, you've got to go through the middle? Is that all it's saying? Maybe. But there's a particular word that is used there in the Greek that actually means it was necessary. And when that word shows up in other places in the gospel, it denotes a kind of a defined necessity. It denotes something that God is requiring. So it seems like there might be a little more here. He had to pass through Samaria, I'm suggesting, because there was an encounter with a vulnerable woman that had to happen. God had someone for Jesus to meet, so He had to go through Samaria. So we go on here in verses 5 and 6. We see they come through Samaria, and they get to this town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus is, is tired, he's worn out from the journey, and so he sits down beside the well. We're told here it's about the sixth hour. Sixth hour would have been about noon. So Jesus takes a seat, and about this time, verse 7, a woman from Samaria comes forth to draw water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, we just look at that little phrase, give me a drink, think that's no big deal. That phrase right there is a really big deal. <laughs> I mean, just him asking for a drink is super significant. I'll, I'll tell you more details about that in a moment. But here we have this encounter. Jesus has met this woman. He asked for a drink. So a couple things to notice here about this encounter. One, you see in verse 8 that the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Disciples are away, so it's just Jesus. So it just kind of opens up room for a personal conversation now between Jesus and this woman. just happened to be that the disciples were gone at the time that the Samaritan woman comes. And it's also, as I mentioned, at the sixth hour, at, at noon. Now, that's an interesting detail because noon would have been a very warm part of the day. It would have been more typical for the women to come to the well to get water sometime earlier in the morning when it was cooler. And it also would have been more common for the women to come together, not individually as this woman comes. So the woman is showing up at kind of an odd time of the day, and she's coming alone. And we might ask, why? Why is she coming at noon? Why is she by herself? And as we get further into this text, I think we'll find out that the reason why is because this woman is here alone because she wants to be alone. She doesn't want to be with people. She doesn't want to be seen by people because she is covered in shame and embarrassment. And she's carrying a burden. And she has no one to walk beside her. She's been alienated and rejected by her community. And she's by herself. And so she's come at this time specifically to avoid being seen by other people. And so all of these circumstances are coming together so that Jesus can have this 
encounter with this woman and a life-changing conversation can take place between the two of them. So what I'm trying to show you here this morning is to prepare for God-appointed encounters with vulnerable people. You, you never know when you are going to have one of these kinds of encounters. You never know when you're going to be at Walmart and you're going to run into somebody who needs your attention. You never know when you go to the gym, when you're going to happen to be exercising next to somebody who needs your attention. You never know when you go into the classroom and sit down that the person next to you might be a vulnerable, distressed person who needs your intention. We never know who's going to come through the doors of this church on a Sunday morning and might enter into this place in great distress and vulnerability needing our attention. Jesus is prepared. He is ready to show compassion to this woman. Now, this Making Life Disciples curriculum, uh, it is designed specifically for the abortion vulnerable. That is true, but I want to be very clear that that's not the only thing that this curriculum is designed for. So if you're thinking, I don't really feel a call to uh, help per per people in abortion situations, I, I hope that you will dismiss that thought and realize that this is a lot broader. This curriculum will help us to respond to anybody who is, again, in a situation of distress or vulnerability. And, of course, our lives are surrounded by all kinds of people like that, and they need the compassion of the people of God to be offered to them. But the question is whether we have eyes of faith to notice these things and be aware and see when these things happen, because they will happen. God will bring people into your life on a regular basis when you're not expecting it sometimes. And so I have an example of that um, in my own life recently. So I was out taking a walk in my neighborhood, and I saw this stray dog was running around, saw the dog had a collar, so knew that it was a, a domesticated dog, probably, probably safe to approach, and so I, I tried to call the dog to come to me, and the dog wouldn't come. And uh, then I just kind of turned around, and I noticed there was one of my neighbors, and she was walking down the street, and she saw what I was trying to do, and so she called the dog, and the dog came to her immediately. And so, that's a good thing. So I got to go over, and she had the dog. We looked at the tag. Tag had the owner's name and phone number. We called the owner. The owner drove over, and we were able to give the dog back to the owner. So it's a good story. Happy ending. Um, but about that time, she noticed that I happened to be wearing a shirt that said Covenant College. And she noticed it, and she said, oh, Covenant College, what's that? I said, well, that's the school from uh, the denomination to which I belong. I happen to be a pastor in, in the PCA. And she said, oh, well, that's interesting because I've been kind of interested in Bible study lately, and so I've been online trying to find some Bible study materials. And I said, okay, and um, <clears throat> you know, we, we've been telling you here lately that Mary and I were starting a Christianity Explored class here, and I got to tell you, it didn't even occur to me in the moment to invite her to the class even though she said, I'm looking for a Bible study. It's like the next week it was going to start. It didn't occur to me. So, I, I, you know, this is a struggle for me also, all right? Um, so I went home, but then it occurred to me, hey, we should ask her to Christianity Explored. So I got one of those cards, and I took it down to her house and gave it to her husband, actually. And I got back home, and within minutes of my getting back home, I got a text from her saying, I would love to come. And so she's been at our Christianity Explored class for the last few weeks, person I'd never met before, lives just a few doors down, but there she is. God-appointed encounter. I'm not suggesting she's a vulnerable person. I, she doesn't seem to be in, stress, in distress, but, but she's looking for some spiritual 
food, it would seem. And so the Lord just worked that out in such a great way. That's one way to be prepared as we think about ministering to people in distressing situations is to see how God brings people into our lives. My neighbor might not have been vulnerable, but certainly the Samaritan woman is. She is a vulnerable person that Jesus is speaking to. So next thing, let's consider this. Prepare also to interact with people very different than you. Prepare to interact with people very different to you. So we return to the story. Uh, Jesus and the woman are talking. Jesus has asked for a drink. They're next to Jacob's well here. And one thing that we should notice is how different Jesus and this woman are. There are significant differences in their lives and, and where they're from, and so many differences that probably the majority of us, if we found ourselves in the situation that Jesus was in, probably just would have looked the other way and just avoided the conversation. Because this is a person who is a stranger to me, and I'm not comfortable talking to those kinds of people. That's what most of us would probably do. Jesus, though, he, <clears throat> he engages. He engages this woman, even though there are so many differences. So let me show you some of the differences that I notice here in the text. One, there is an ethnic difference between the two. Jesus has asked for this drink. As we know, verse 9, the Samaritan woman says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? So, you know, the gender difference there is significant too. Just to have a man speaking to a woman in that particular culture when they're alone, that would have uh, been frowned upon by many. But even more so, it's the fact that there's a Jew speaking to a Samaritan because there was a profound hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, great hostility between the two. The Jews thought that the Samaritans were basically half-breeds because they were Jews who had intermarried with surrounding nations. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And in fact, some of the more conservative Jews, when they were making this um, journey, from Judea to Galilee would not go through Samaria. One reason is because they didn't want to be, dis, uh, be um, contaminated by non-Jewish people, but also because there was danger. Sometimes the Samaritans would, would rob or beat them up as they went through, and so a lot of Jews would um, simply go around. Of course, you know that Samaritans would get beaten up too because we have the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So that happened also. But so what they would often do, instead of going the short way, they would go over here, cross the Jordan River, and go up this side and go to Galilee that way. They were so concerned, so hateful toward the Samaritans, they wouldn't even travel through their land. And certainly another thing that would have been forbidden would be a Jew eating or drinking with a Samaritan. And so that's what makes that statement in verse 7 so significant. Jesus says, give me a drink. I will drink from a vessel that you have touched. That would have been super taboo at the time because of the differences between Jews and Samaritans, but Jesus crosses this ethnic barrier and reaches out to this woman. But the other difference we see is that there is a great moral difference between these two. Um, <clears throat> verses 16 to 18, we see what it is that apparently is giving shame and embarrassment to this woman why it is that she came at noon, why it is she came alone to this well. Verse 16, Jesus says to her, go, call your husband. And the woman says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, yep, you're right. 
you've had five husbands. And so Jesus obviously knows more about this woman than she realizes. And so uh, that's why uh, later in verse 19, woman says, I perceive that you are a prophet. I think later on she says, oh, this man told me everything about me. And so Jesus is showing this omniscience into her life. But um, this woman has had five husbands. Now, we don't know what happened in all of these situations, right? I mean, it could be that all of these husbands are deceased, so maybe this woman is a widow five times over. That's possible. Uh, it could be that she was divorced um, in all five occasions or that the, the men left her and abused her. Perhaps she's an innocent subject in, in this situation, maybe. We don't know the details. But in any case, in verse 18, notice... Jesus says, you have had five husbands, but then he goes on and he says, and the one you have now is not your husband. So apparently the woman is living with a man, sleeping with this man, and they're not married. Now, in this particular culture and day and age, that's not as scandalous as it once was, but it would have been very scandalous then, I guarantee you, this woman living, sleeping with a man to whom she is not married. And so we have a profound kind of moral disagreement here on the issue of sexuality and marriage and the place of marriage. Jesus and this woman would be in disagreement. We see this very common today as Christians. We run into people who disagree with us on these issues regularly. So something else to be prepared for, meeting people who don't think like you when it comes to moral issues. Got to be prepared for that. That's okay. Not everybody is going to agree with you. So, moral difference, and then lastly, we have a religious difference. We see this in verses 19 to 22, where this exchange happens between Jesus and the woman regarding worship. And so, verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say, Jesus, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So this mountain, she's referring there to what's called Mount Gerizim, Gerizim um, which was a, a place where the Samaritans had built a temple centuries before. The temple was destroyed, but it was still a place where the Samaritans thought was the proper place to worship. And what she's acknowledging is that the Jews and the Samaritans have this disagreement, this difference of opinion on religious matters, where the proper place to worship is. Woman says, you Jews, you think it's in Jerusalem. Of course, there's a temple in Jerusalem. That's where Jews worship. So they, they disagree religiously. So this would be unlike or not unlike a time meeting a, a, a Muslim or a Jehovah's Witness or somebody with whom we have profound theological religious disagreements. There's a significant disagreement here between the two. And then Jesus actually is quite frank with her <laughs> as we Look to verse 22, Jesus says, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Basically, what he's saying is you're worshiping in ignorance. You, you, you think you're worshiping the true God, but, but you're not. And this is not a matter of preference or, or opinion. It's not a, a matter of how you were brought up or whatever. That There is a proper way to worship what Jesus is saying here because salvation is coming from the Jews. The Messiah is coming from the Jews. The Savior is coming from the Jews. He is the one worthy of worship, and you're worshiping wrongly. So, I mean, there is room for us to speak frankly about what we believe. We always do that in gentleness and respect. But in this 
religious discussion, we see that there's a, a profound difference. Okay, so, so three significant differences, right? I mean, you know, how, how do you feel? How do you respond when you run into somebody of a different race who has completely different moral beliefs than you and worships, worships an entirely different God than you? Does that make you nervous? Do you pull away from that? For a lot of us, it's natural to do that. But here's Jesus. He engages. He initiates. He, he, he pursues this woman. He crosses ethnic boundaries, moral boundaries, religious boundaries, so he can show compassion to a vulnerable woman. And it's such a shocking thing that if you skip ahead to verse 27, when the disciples come back from the town, they marvel that he was talking with a woman. You know, they're just amazed. That just shows you what a shocking, startling thing this is that Jesus is doing. So, going back to the Making Life Disciples curriculum, one of the things that they say, and I think it's super helpful, is that they compare this task of kind of reaching out to abortion-vulnerable people, uh, even people in our community, they compare it to what it is like, actually, to go on the mission field. If you go to another country to do mission work, you're going to get training, because you've got to understand how they think. You've got to understand their culture. You've got to understand what they're like in order to speak to them credibly, in order to enter into their lives. You need training. And so do we. We need training to reach out even to people in our own community who are different than us, and that's what Making Life Disciples helps us do. So here's a quote from the curriculum. This is what Making Life Disciples is, a cross-cultural training to help you better reach the abortion vulnerable a mission field right in your own church and community. But notice what that said there. Mission field right in your own church and community. And so this curriculum acknowledges that the abortion vulnerable are not necessarily just always outside the church. They're in the church too. And they might be in this room right now. In fact, the statistics say that the majority, well, I have to confirm that, a great number of women who have abortions are regular churchgoers. So we just want you to know that we want to offer compassion, hope, and help to the abortion vulnerable in our community. We want to offer compassion, hope, and help to the abortion vulnerable right here as well. We want you to find compassion here, not judgment for whatever decisions that you have made. I mean, one of the things that just would break my heart is if somebody found themselves pregnant in this congregation and was too afraid to come to the leadership because they thought they would be judged and ostracized. That would just be heartbreaking. We don't want that to happen. We want you to feel open and honest to come to you. Let us show you compassion. Let us walk with you. Let us help you. Perhaps you're a person who had an abortion and it's in the past and you're still dealing with that struggle. Here's one of the wonderful things about first choice for women is that they're trying to counsel women to choose life and have their babies. But if women refuse to do that and abort their baby, they still welcome them back to offer them compassion, hope, and help. So we're not offering compassion on the condition that you do it all right. Because Jesus came not for the righteous, but for sinners, right? And so... That's what we want to offer as well. So prepare to interact with people very different than you. The last thing is this. Prepare to direct people's attention to Jesus. 
Because this is Jesus' goal, ultimately, in this conversation. He wants to offer compassion, but that's not the only thing he wants to do. He wants to point this woman to himself because he is the one, ultimately, that she needs and that she's longing for. He is the fulfillment of all of her longing. So let's see how this happens. If we look at verse 10, um, <clears throat> Jesus kind of enters into this spiritual conversation, right? He says to the woman, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, I just asked you for a drink, but woman, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. Uh, but the woman obviously doesn't know who, who he is. And uh, so the woman's response to that in verse 11 is, um, well, we've got nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So you see, the woman is not getting it. Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level here. He's talking about living water that he has to offer. She thinks he's talking about earthly things. And so Jesus has to go on and make this distinction in verse 13. So he says, uh, woman, everyone who drinks of this water, referring to the water in the well will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become uh, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's trying to make this distinction. Woman, you're thinking about the physical water here. What I'm saying is that there's a water I can give to you that's going to equal eternal life for you. It's the, it's, you're thirsting for something more than just an earthly relationship. You're thirsting for your creator. You're thirsting for your sins to be forgiven. You're thirsting to know that you have a place in heaven. That's what I will offer you, eternal life, the waters that create eternal life. So Jesus is trying to make this distinction. And how does the woman respond? Verse 15, she says, uh, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water. <laughs> yeah, give me this water so that I can have it at home and I don't have to keep coming back to this well to get water. It's like, yeah. You know, she's still not getting it. She's still thinking of it in terms of the physical water available at the well. And so here's something else that we have to be prepared for as we minister to people in our communities, that you're going to talk to them about spiritual things, and they're not going to get it. They won't get the gospel. And, and that's okay. It's going to take time. We've got to be patient. We've got to enter into relationship, walk alongside people gently, kindly, talk to them about spiritual things as God opens that door. The only way they're going to get it is if the Spirit of God opens their eyes to see. And so we pray for that, but we be patient. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's just patiently discussing this with this woman. So near the end of uh, the passage here, we, we find um, that it, it comes back around to, to Jesus. Because verse 25, the, the woman says... Um, uh, you know, Messiah is coming, so they just had this discussion about worship and where the proper place of worship is, and she says, you know, Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll, he'll tell us all things. In other words, he'll work it all out, you know. I guess we really can't know, uh, but Messiah is coming. He'll, he'll sort it out. He'll straighten it out. And then Jesus drops the bomb <laughs> on verse 26. I who speak to you am he. That's me. You're talking about the Messiah? That's me. I'm standing right in front of you, the Son of God, the Messiah who was sent to forgive you of your sins and to give you this living water that you were longing for. This is what the woman needs more than anything, a relationship with Jesus. And here's one of the, I think, just really good things, again, about the Making Life Disciples curriculum is it's gospel-centered. 
And they understand that as much as we might be appreciative of the laws of the land that protect life, we know that laws do not change hearts. We can get people to value the sanctity of life, but what we really want people to know is the eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus. And this curriculum is designed for that, not just walking alongside couples, helping them, loving them, but also showing them how to live for Jesus. And so, another quote from this is this, women and men are facing pregnancy decisions all around us, and while there are many ways to engage on the issue of abortion, God has given us the solution, discipleship. And see, First Choice doesn't want to take that on themselves. They're not the church. They want the church to take this on, and so that's why they are prepared to send these couples to us and to other churches in the community so that we can come alongside. So, purpose of this message is to introduce this option to you. I, I hope that you will consider this. Uh, again, August 20th, Sunday, 9 a.m. Uh, it is a uh, 12-week class. There are uh, little study guides that everybody will get. We'll go through these guides together. There's videos. Uh, well, it's very discussion-oriented. Uh, let me just reiterate once again, this is not only for abortion-vulnerable couples, although it is kind of specifically headed that way, but it's bigger than that. It's so that we are prepared to show the grace of Jesus to any vulnerable, in-distress, crisis-laden person that the Lord might send to us. Our compassion core value says this, God has had compassion on us in the gospel, so we want to have compassion on the needy around us. And Jesus and the Samaritan woman shows us well how to do that. So, August 20th, 9 a.m. Hope to see you then. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your compassion toward us, Lord, that you set the example for how to be merciful to those with whom we are different. And um, Lord, use our church well for this purpose, Father, that couples would choose life and that couples would come to know you and live as faithful disciples of you, Lord Jesus, all their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand as we close with song.